We want to help people understand more about what God is doing among people with disabilities, help them to see disability through a different lens, both in their own setting, uh, wherever it is that they live, but also globally. And also to see that this is part of our duty as Great Commission people, that we need to be reaching those who have been barred from access for so long to the gospel. And that would be this 950 million people with disabilities who have never heard the gospel because they've been barred from access to it. Facilitating gospel-centered transformation for people with disabilities around the world by equipping the global body of Christ to open holistic doors of access. That's the mission of Accessible Hope International. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and today we welcome Kim Carbo, president and CEO, also founder of Accessible Hope International. She's our guest, calling from Central Florida, the Sunshine State, and we're connecting now with the Volunteer State. Kim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Byron. Thank you. I'm disappointed you're not in person in the studio because you moved the ministry, Accessible Hope International, from the Mid-South area where you really began this work, I guess, was it back in 2009? For some reason, you just decided you want to be closer to Mickey Mouse, I guess. Well, actually, we didn't move the ministry at all. We went to a completely distributed office model during COVID. Also, you got the COVID reorganization method. We did. Yes, we did. And we had already planned to close down our physical office in Memphis in December of 2020. But then long about May of 2020, when we were like, well, we're paying rent on a building. Why continue paying rent until December? We were on a month to month at that point because our landlords knew that we were getting ready to move out. And we had been in that building for about four years. So we decided to just go ahead and close early. So we closed our office in June of 2020 and went to a completely distributed workforce. That has opened up actually a lot of doors. So our administrative offices now are out of Wheaton, Illinois. I moved to Florida to be closer to my parents who are aging. And then our administrative director who lived in Mississippi also at that time moved to Indiana. So we don't have any staff left actually in the Memphis area, but we've got staff in five different states and one foreign country. So it really opened up doors to be able to hire people anywhere. And we work out of a completely virtual office now. That is so amazing how this technology has revolutionized even the platform on which we deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ, Kim. And it's really exciting how it's opened up doors and changed direction for so many. Sadly, you know, many churches closed because of the pandemic. Uh, but mm-hmm. looking for ways that we can still be effective for the gospel. I think it's so wonderful. Of course, you were raised in Sierra Leone by missionary parents. Kind of want to go back over this. We've been friends for a long time. You've been on the show multiple times. But for mm-hmm. those who aren't really familiar with your story, I thought we would just kind of recap some things. What do you remember most about that time of your life growing up in Sierra Leone? Well, of course, I viewed it through a child's eyes at that time, right? And I remember it being sort of an idyllic place to live. My memories there are all very happy. And I went back as a nurse later to work at a mission hospital that was just north of where I grew up. Worked there for three years. And then uh, left as the war was starting. So they had a civil war that was about a decade long um, in the late 90s into the early 2000s. I left there in 93. The war was had started in 91 and was really sort of picking up speed, beginning to spread throughout the country. So, you know, looking at Sierra Leone through an adult missionary eyes was kind of a whole different experience. 
you know, I saw a lot more brokenness. I saw a lot more need uh, as opposed to a child who just, you know, sees fun places to play and people who were very friendly and warm and welcoming to us as a family. And our, we, I grew up in a little village. We had no electricity the whole time I was growing up. You know, I, my memories of growing up there are real, very pleasant and very idyllic. And then, you know, began to see deeper uh, as I grew up and, and took on different roles in Sierra Leone. And then in 2009 was when I went, took a, a group of people to Sierra Leone to sort of do some assessment for this ministry and to see what what that would look like to have a ministry to women with disabilities in that part of the world. And so we had some thoughts and ideas, but didn't really have enough information to be able to put a program together. So we went and spent some time doing some assessment and data gathering and um, a lot of focus groups and interviews with women just to really understand what their lives were like. So what inspired you to become a nurse? And really, I don't think I've ever asked you, what was the missionary call that your parents followed to Sierra Leone originally? Yeah, my parents were Bible translators, actually. So um, they completed a New Testament translation in one of the local languages there. Um, When I was really young, I felt like I was going to be a missionary, but honestly, everyone I knew was a missionary, so I just thought that's what you did. Um, And so I had always thought that I would be a missionary when I grew up, when I was very young. But then around the time I was 12, I really felt the Lord specifically calling me to missions. And then when I was 14, I had just started high school, I was reading one of uh, Don Richardson's books, uh, Lords of the Earth. And through that, and then also a scripture passage uh, from Romans where the Lord really called me specifically to reach those who are completely unreached. So at that time in my life, being 14, having very little life experience, I thought that meant, you know, some remote, very remote village in, you know, Papua New Guinea, where there was just, you know, people who had had no contact with the outside world, had never heard the gospel a day in their life, you know, that sort of thing. And so when I ended up going back to Sierra Leone as a nurse, for me, that was sort of a, a temporary, like, sure, I'll go back to Sierra Leone, help out a little bit. But... It wasn't really what I felt like I was called to in missions, but it seemed like, you know, it was a something that was needed at that time. During that time, I saw that the, the need was so great. Um, I was working in the hospital and I was really moved and upset by the number of children in particular who were dying from preventable diseases and, the, you know, malnutrition or measles or polio or whatever and just knew that if people knew more about some of these things that we could prevent disease and prevent the death rather than having all these kids in the hospital who were dying from things that were completely preventable. So I petitioned the hospital administration to let me start a a community health education program in the area around the hospital to try to address some of those needs and provide some community health education, uh, hopefully preventing people from coming to the hospital with diseases that were preventable. And so they agreed to let me do that. I spent the next three years then uh, putting that program together. And that was sort of my first real mission experience as an adult and managing that program. And uh, it was quite successful. It ended sometime into the war. So it, it continued on for quite a number of years. But then as the war started up, it started to disintegrate because really everything did at that time. Was this prior to your involvement with World Hope International when you were involved with amputees? That was prior yep. to this time. Okay. It was prior. Yep. Uh huh. And then later during the war, I took the founder of World Hope to Sierra Leone um, to 
do some assessment for some relief work in Sierra Leone during the war. And out of that came a, a program for rehabilitation for amputees because there was a lot of those during the war because the war was quite brutal. And one of the um, fear tactics that the rebel forces used during the war was to amputate people's limbs um, and other body parts. And so there was a lot of amputees as a result of the war. And at that point, we were, we were there during sort of the height of the war and nobody had come back in yet to really start addressing some of these needs. So uh, with the, the sort of initial assessment team that I took to uh, Sierra Leone during the war, uh, we put together a program for rehabilitation for people with amputations. So that was sort of my first uh, for a combining some community health and some of the health-based uh, work that I had done previously with disability. And um, so that was that program. I was with that program for about five years. And then um, some years later, a few years later, um, I was asked by a group of women in the Seattle area to consult with them on, on a ministry for women with disabilities in Sierra Leone. Originally it was women with amputations, but then we quickly realized that was right. really too small of a, a group of people. So it expanded to women with disabilities. Well, was it during that time that you started to develop a special heart for people affected by disabilities? It was because that wasn't really on my radar initially. And, you know, and still in my, in my heart, I knew that my calling was to the unreached people who had never had access to the gospel. And when I knew that the Lord was asking me to take on this role with um, Accessible Hope as uh, and leading, uh, at that time it was called Women of Hope, but uh, when I knew that the Lord was asking me to do that, I didn't really understand. I kind of felt some dissonance with the call that I felt like was on my life to reach those who are unreached. But then the deeper I got into disability ministry, what I realized is that people with disabilities are the largest group of unreached people in the world. Wow. Because even though they're, they might live in a group of people or in a place that has been largely reached by the gospel, they themselves have not been reached with the gospel, and they have been actually intentionally barred from access to the gospel because of the worldviews and the, the beliefs around disability in most of the world, believing that they are not fully human. So why would they need to have access to the gospel? Why would they even go to church? Why would they be given an education? You know, there's just so many um, harmful belief patterns around disability in most of the world that it really created an entire barrier. And so there's over a billion people in the world that are affected by disability and they have a disability. According to the Lausanne Conference, there's less than 10% of those have even been reached with the gospel at all. So that's like 900 to 950 million people who have literally no access to the gospel because they've been barred from access because of people thinking that they're not worthy of that access. Kim, I interviewed a Serbian pastor on this show who recalled being bombed during the Balkan War. He led the only Protestant Christian ministry to people with disabilities and is Johnny Erickson Tata's chief representative in Serbia right now. And he said that after the war, church growth really didn't take place until they started focusing on people living with disabilities. Byron, that makes sense with what we read in the scriptures, because when Jesus decided to spread the gospel after Jesus left, right, he entrusted the spread of the gospel to people who were not the high up people in society. They were the riffraff. They were outcasts. They were, you know, fishermen and people who had no status in the community at all. And and that's just part of the upside down kingdom of God, right? That 
that God takes the things, you know, that's what it says in Corinthians, that God takes the things that are seen as meaningless in this world and, and, and makes them meaningful, that God uses the weak to shame the strong, that God uses the foolish to shame the wise. So um, it's part of that whole upside down kingdom that, that God does. So it makes perfect sense to me that that would be the result um, for a church planning movement, you know, in a place like that, that when the gospel takes root in those who have no access and no status really in society that that in god's strange economy that's how things just really take off and spread so yeah. i completely see where that would make sense friends you're listening to mid-south viewpoint here on the bot radio network our guest today is kim carbos the president ceo founder of accessible hope international and we're discussing the great work they're doing. I want to let you know about a special event taking place, the Luke 14 Feast, the third annual virtual fundraising banquet slated for Saturday, September 24th. And this is where you, our listeners, can make a really impact by helping Accessible Hope International reach its goal of $100,000. Kim, I believe that every gift will be matched up to $50,000, making that $100,000. Do you care to give us some more details about this special event? Yeah, sure. Um, this is our third uh, annual event like this. And of course, it, it did sort of spring out of COVID, but it was one of those things that we decided was um, sort of a, a benefit um, to some of the changes that COVID brought about. Because in the past, we when we had an office there in the Memphis area, we had a banquet every year, but only people from Memphis could come. And we have um, ministry partners all over the country and the world, in fact, in fact. And so this banquet is open to all, everyone. You don't, it doesn't matter where you live. You could live in the Memphis area. You could live in Florida. You could live in London and you can participate in the Luke 14 feast. So the Luke 14 feast, obviously, you know, Luke 14 comes from a scripture reference, uh, the passage of in Luke 14, where Jesus tells a parable of a man who threw a feast. The people, the wealthy people that he invited, the people of means, uh, had all sorts of excuses that why they couldn't come. This one bought some cows this one just got married this one you know all these different excuses and um and so the master said well then go out into the highways and byways and find the crippled the blind and the lame or we could just categorize that all in one fell swoop and say go call all the people with disabilities and bring them to my feast the servants went and did that but then they said sir there's still room at the tables and the master said well we're not starting until it's full so go out and compel the people with disabilities to come to my feast. And so they did. That was who the feast was was then for, which for the listeners to Jesus's parable at the time would have seemed very strange because why would you throw a big feast like that for people with disabilities? So that's, that's the parable on which our uh, annual banquet is based on. And that's what we're trying to do is to bring people to the table, people from all over the world, to help them understand that we need to open that access to people with disabilities and bring them to the table so that they can participate in the feast of the Lord, in the abundant life that Jesus offers, right? That Jesus didn't just come to save our souls for eternity, but Jesus came to give abundant life right now. And people with disabilities throughout the world often are not participating in that abundant life. One, because they don't know about it. And two, because there's a lot of suffering. So we want to help people understand more about what God is doing among people with disabilities, help them to see disability through a different lens, both in their own setting, uh, wherever it is that they live, but also globally. 
and also to see that this is part of our duty as Great Commission people that we need to be reaching those who have been barred from access for so long to the gospel. And that would be this 950 million people with disabilities who have never heard the gospel because they've been barred from access to it. So the Luke 14 feast is sort of an opportunity to, number one, to have free food. Like it actually is a banquet. So if you register um, for our Luke 14 feast, you can sign up. You can do it either way. You can do your own dinner or you can sign up for a Grubhub credit and you'll get a Grubhub credit on that day to have lunch or dinner, whichever one you prefer, because it's all day. So it's anytime that's convenient for people and you can get free lunch or dinner. We're asking for hosts for people who are like, let's get some friends together and let's listen to this together. It's only about a 35 minute program. Doesn't take a lot of time commitment. This year, really a world tour because our ministry has expanded well beyond Sierra Leone at this point. So we have Global Hope Partners who are people who are actually providing services for people with disabilities in Sierra Leone, Burundi, East Africa, and in Tanzania, East Africa. And the group in Tanzania is a school for children with disabilities. And then we have pastors and church leaders around the world who are really taking up the call to help educate the church, the body of Christ, on a whole different way of seeing disability, to really view it through a biblical lens. So they are teaching our Theology of Disability workshops. It's going to be kind of a world tour as we sort of hop from here and there around the world and hear different testimonies of what's happening, what God is doing, people whose lives have been completely transformed through the message of the gospel and through the ministry of Accessible Hope, which is is powered by ordinary people who are contributing to make sure that people with disabilities have access to the gospel. We also are offering incentive packets for hosts now. If you host up to five people, there's a a packet you'll get with some door prizes and some gifts for your uh, guests. And then if you host up to 10 adult people to come together, there's even more incentives, more door prizes and a $50 gift card to help you with providing lunch or dinner or whatever it is that you're going to do with your group of people. So all of that information is on our website, accessiblehope.org. And then right on our front page, you'll see the um, banner for the Luke 14 Feast. And you can click through there to either get more information about hosting or about registering just for yourself. And we'll get more details about that as we close out today. But I want to talk more about the outreaches in Sierra Leone, Burundi, and Mm -hmm. Tanzania. Question is, Kim, do governments in these countries provide services and laws that protect those living with disabilities? So, you know, Byron, it's interesting because um, there is progress being made around the world. You know, our own country passed the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, only in 1990. Okay, so that wasn't very long ago. That was when we first passed our ADA policies. And while the law then uh, provides certain things for people with disabilities and makes certain things mandatory, like uh, accessible bathrooms and accessible doorways and things like that, Interestingly enough, even in our own country, up to today, 2022, churches are exempt from following the ADA. Did you know that? I did not know that. Um, It's kind of a shameful thing, actually. So churches are exempt. They petitioned for exemption uh, back when in 1990 when the ADA was passed because of cost factor, right? Like if I have to, if I'm a church and I don't have a lot of money, I don't want to have to modify my doorway accesses or put in accessible bathrooms and So churches were exempted from following the ADA, which really is sad to me. It should have been that churches were doing that first before anybody even told them to, right? Rather than being exempted from it. But just like in the United States where the ADA took, you know, was passed in 1990, 
but we are still 32 years later still working on ensuring that people really do have the access that is required and, and provided for in that act so the same thing is true um, in countries around the world so sierra leone for example passed their own version of the ada in 2010 so we had started working there in 2009 2010 uh, there was a disabilities act that was passed which was similar to our ADA, not exactly the same, but similar providing for certain types of access for people with disabilities. But we're only 12 years in to, um, to that law being passed and there's still a long ways to go to actually realize the provisions that are in that particular law. Even for our own country, we're, just, we're not where we need to be yet. We still have a long ways to go. There's still new things being unveiled all the time. Churches aren't even yet forced to comply with the ADA. So churches are still inaccessible in many many times for people with disabilities. It takes time. A law can be passed, but it, that doesn't change hearts, right? Laws don't change hearts. So the barriers that people with disabilities face are more often barriers of attitude than they are barriers of law. And that's the, the case around the world, not just um, in wow. our country, but in everywhere around the world. That is a sad commentary. We definitely need to be in prayer, and definitely the church needs to engage this issue. I can see that right now, mm-hmm. Kim. Well, hey, let's talk about the fair trade products. Remden Designs, am I saying that right? What are the products sold, and how does this specifically help women with disabilities? Yeah, so that program in Sierra Leone really took a hit during COVID. That's been a program that we still have not kind of gotten back up and running. You know, when all travel ceased for a long time, and we were going and, and buying things from the women, bringing them back and selling them. Of course, we didn't travel for over a year, really. So things really started to kind of come apart on that particular program. So we do still have products that women make. It's not in as great a quantity. And so some of the women, you know, over that long period of time where there wasn't really any key sales began to go find other things to do, like they didn't stay part of the program. So we we still are kind of working with what that looks like. There are some products that are for sale. We do pop-up shops now, so it's not sort of like all the time that everything is available for sale, but we'll do pop-up shops and we'll advertise usually about three or four times a year. We'll do sort of a pop-up shop for like maybe three or four days at a time. These online pop-up shops? Mm-hmm, they are, yep. Uh-huh. So we'll we'll advertise them in our emails and on our website. And then, uh, you know, this, the shop will be open for three or four days at a time. And then we'll have, often we'll have other new products too, because that program was just in Sierra Leone. And now we've got the Burundi program, we've got the Tanzania program, and, and the people in those programs are also making different types of products that can be sold. So we'll collect some products that women or children are making in the school in Tanzania and bring them back and do a pop-up shop. So it's not a constant shop anymore, but we are doing them once in a while throughout the year. Now, if there's business owners that have store space, then they might want to have a a permanent pop-up shop in their location to help your calls for Accessible Hope International. Is that a possibility? It is, and we we have had some uh, some shops that have sold some of our products, and we would be more than willing to work with a shop that wanted to do that and provide them with products from either the women or children with disabilities that are they're making uh, overseas. So if they had that interest, they could contact us, and we would definitely set something up with them. Well, friends, don't forget now, the Luke 14 Feast, the third annual virtual fundraising banquet to benefit Accessible Hope International, is coming up on Saturday, September 24th. 
This is a time for you and friends to get together, pray for this ministry, and to help support matching funds up to $50,000 will help reach the goal of $100,000, and you can make a difference by gathering together. You get this free meal from Grubhub, whether it be a lunch or your dinner, how you decide to put it together for your group. Please go to the website to learn more. The website is accessiblehope.org, accessiblehope.org. What's really critical is that this Luke 14 feast is, we have so many more opportunities, Byron. We have people waiting for partnership with Accessible Hope. Our model now is really to partner with locally led, indigenously led ministries that have a real heart to serve people with disabilities, to serve them holistically, and to serve them with gospel-centered ministry, and reach them both with practical types of help and with the gospel. And so our partnership with those ministries is, you know, this Luke 14 Feast is what's going to allow us to take on more partners. So we have the three Global Hope Partners right now, but we have four more Global Hope Partners around the world that are waiting to be accepted as full partners with Accessible Hope. And we have really limited ability to take on some of these partnerships. We have another one in Sierra Leone uh, in the south. of So our program currently, Women of Hope Sierra Leone, is in the north of Sierra Leone. There's a school for children with disabilities in the south of Sierra Leone that is waiting to become a Global Hope Partner. There's um, one, a group in Liberia that is working with women with disabilities uh, in outside of the capital. And we have a church network in Nigeria that in southern Nigeria near the Cameroon border uh, that is also waiting to become a partner. And then there's a group in Kenya as well that uh, is waiting to see if they can become a Global Hope Partner. So the opportunities are many, and uh, we are not able to respond to all of those needs because we just don't have the funding. So the Luke 14 Feast is really the opportunity for more ministries who are already doing what they can to reach people with disabilities with the gospel and with practical resources and allow us to partner with them. Because with our Global Hope Partners, we provide them with curriculum, with training, with coaching, administrative assistance, and then funding as well. So we have so many more that would like to become Global Hope Partners, and we just don't have the resources to be able to meet all those needs. And friend, this is how you can help Accessible Hope International. Please go to the website again, accessiblehope.org, and learn more about the special event, the Luke 14 Feast. And there's other ways you can give and support this ministry too. Please pray for Accessible Hope International. Mm -hmm. Kim Carbo, God bless you, my dear friend. Thank you so much for joining Bot Radio Network today. Thank, thank you for you, what, Byron. Hey, thank you for what you're allowing Christ to do through you for his kingdom and his glory. And we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing some of the folks in Memphis at the Luke 14 piece. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <music>